Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Over the Line, a maintenance disrupted podcast. And I'm your host, Steve Doby. Today, I welcome Matthew Joinson from Jaffrey Millwright to the show. We talk about a wide range of issues, going in from looking at tooling and do we have the proper tooling. We talk about tool cribs and the value that a good tool crib provides to an organization. Then we talk about some of the common issues that are facing our execution teams. And talk. Matthew has some amazing points within this episode. It really highlights the value that our frontline teams can, that can bring back to our maintenance staff back in the office. His feedback can be taken to make job plans better. It can be taken to build processes to help facilitate that communication between groups. But before we get into the episode, first, a message from our sponsor. Hello, everybody. This is Steve Doby here, one of your hosts of Maintenance Disrupted. If maintaining heavy equipment in BC and Alberta is part of your job, I'm excited to tell you about the fuel and lubricant supplier, Star West Petroleum. Having personally worked with Star West in a previous job, I can tell you their service is unmatched, and they are committed to saving you both money and downtime. Their service team learns your equipment and suggests ways to extend its life and overall perform better. I was in the throes of starting a new job at a large-scale mine in BC, and we wanted to improve reliability quickly. One of our top issues was hydrocarbon management, and with the support of StarWest team, we were able to reduce our cost and ultimately chart a better path forward for our hydrocarbon management. My bosses were impressed, but I really can't take the credit. StarWest Petroleum did all the legwork. StarWest is a top-tier distributor of Phillips 66 lubricants, Kendall Performance Motor Oils, Phillips 66 Aviation Lubricants, Redline Synthetics, and Aspen Alkylate Fuel for Professionals. Also available from StarWest is clear and marked gasoline and diesel heating and furnace oil, but really it's their customer service that stands out. For more information, go to starwestpetroleum.ca or send me an email and I will get you in contact with the StarWest team. You'll be glad you did, and so will your equipment. Now, here's your episode. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Maintenance Disrupted. I'm your host, Steve Doby, and today I'm welcoming Matt Joinson. How's it going today, Matt? Well, it's not too bad. I'm inside. I'm good. <laughs> it's, a, it's about minus 25 or something here, and you're not too far from me, so I think uh, you're probably hitting the same polar vortex I am. <laughs> yeah it was uh it dropped a good 10 degrees from where i live to work this morning so (laughs) oh fun fun parts of living living in canada um why don't you tell us a bit about yourself matt yeah just a small contractor uh millwright and welding company providing mechanical services and laser alignment uh things like that i kind of just worked around the east kootenays for the last i would say mostly 10 years this kind of area and then i was in alberta for an additional five or so before that so i'm just kind of out there and making myself happy i guess doing what i want to do <laughs> yeah absolutely and so you are you're you're the man on the tools you are uh, you're going out there are you primarily doing like um, um commissioning work or maintenance work what is your what's your bread and butter what or what do you enjoy doing, i would say I, I, I would say it's mostly uh maintenance work um, you know, for the most part is what I've been doing. 
actually, you know what? I would say that's pretty much really been my bread and butter since I started has just been maintenance, whether it was welding or, you know, going into the mill right end. I done fairly, fairly minimal commissioning where it was like my direct responsibility. Yeah, absolutely. When we're looking at maintenance and in your world, what, you know, what are some of the biggest issues that we've seen? So like, I, I know for, for me and my job, work execution is always a, a common topic. And, you know, whenever we have any sort of failure, we always talk about, well, was the, was it an execution problem? Did, was the workmanship good? Uh, what do you see out there as kind of some big challenges that we see in that workmanship and work execution world? Sometimes it's the environment where you're supposed to have like a good execution, like try to provide a clean environment, say for bearings, for instance, you know, like it's kind of hard in a coal mine, you're in the plant trying to keep things as clean as possible level, you know, or or I guess square would be a better way to put it to shafts and stuff when, you know, you're replacing a bearing, but then all of a sudden the sole plate is no good for the bearing or, you know, it's just, sometimes it's environmental elements that get in the way. I find kind of makes execution a little difficult or time constraints and, you know, those kind of things where, yeah, like that, that, those are just issues that I have for that. Another one, actually a recent one I encountered uh, for a hot oil pump. So like just a thermal oil pump for a kiln system and they're having premature failure of the mechanical seals and some of the bearings. So I said, well, I'll have a look and you go in and you start taking a look and you tell the hub, you know, we, we gave it a little heat, pulled it off with a puller, but there's hammer marks all over it (laughs) everywhere. Like it was, it was pretty rough shape. So then, you know, okay. Then you start looking at the impeller side of it. Why was this hammered on? You know, like there's a lot of steps missed or maybe time constraints that they were under. I, I don't know. There's, there's a lot it's a multitude sometimes of issues i, I love that because we always talk about yeah i hear it all the time where we say don't install a bearing with a hammer that's not the right tool yet everywhere we go every industry it seems to be the standard the bearing doesn't fit let's get a hammer the right way <laughs> to do it being you're supposed to cool the bearing and it should slide in much nicer or is there something else that we're missing like if that bearing isn't fitting what are your next steps? It was actually a machinist I was working with. And, uh, you know, he was teaching myself another millwright and whatnot, how to line bore and do a lot of other things. And I think we were just first year apprentices at the time. Emphasized measuring. He said, it doesn't matter what you know or what you think you know. It's, it's what you've measured. And, um, you know, and I've tried to, I've made the mistake of saying, ah, whatever. I know it's going to be good. And then it's not. So to me, I've, and, and then you get something stuck and then you're really hooped. So I've, I've just tried to make a habit of, as it comes to bearings, uh, bushings, things like that. If I have to do any heating or cooling to get parts to fit, I like to do it before and an after measurement. So like, you know, you measure it, uh, say a bushing that you're going to put in the bore and you're heating the bore, you measure the bore, you heat it up. You check it in a few directions to make sure that it is going to fit. You measure the bushing to make sure that you've got your clearances to assemble. And the same thing goes for putting a bearing on a shaft. If you're going to heat up a bearing and slide it on, it's nice to know what is the the seat dimensions for that 
bearing? Is it, you know, how much interference do you have, if any, that kind of thing? So then you, when you're heating the bearing, you can just give it a quick double check. Oh yeah, I've got lots. Slide it on and have hopefully no problems. <laughs> but, now, what do you think? What do you think is the biggest barrier? Like it, you kind of gave a few there before, but why are we not? Because we're taught in, or you're taught in Millwright School, and you know the trades around the world. We're, we're taught how to properly do this work. Why do you think we always go back to default to not doing it? And you know, I, I've I don't know if you've heard the other episodes with Bob Latino and and you know we always talk about people make a decision, they make the best decision they can on the day, and it's not about blaming that person for that bad decision. It's about understanding what has led to led to them to make that decision. So in in your eyes, from what you see working out there, what makes our execution teams make those decisions to install a bearing with a hammer? I, I have to say sometimes it does come right down to and yeah, and you know what? I've I hate to say it to your uh, audience, but like I've <laughs> I've been guilty of doing that before. You know, especially when you're an apprentice, you do it and you kind of think, well, I just did what I had to get done, you know, had to do to get the job done. Mm -hmm. But did you really, right? What did you make for somebody else to do down the road? Did you make the job worse for them to come back to? Yeah. I, I would say laziness, you know, number one, maybe not having the tools needed is number two. Mm hmm and with that, maybe not enough preparation time because you get thrown into a job and you start going at it. And then you're like, holy crap, we don't we don't have a way to heat this bearing up or we don't have these things to get it done and just have to make it happen or straight up. Sometimes people have just been told to get out there and do it this way and just make it happen. Who cares? It's time to run. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm... You know, it's easy to blame other people. I, I think sometimes, though, um, the one thing I like working for myself is you can say no. You can say, look, I, I will. I can't do it that way. I have to have the time to do it properly or I'm not going to do it at all. So it's, I, I, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know if I answered your question there correctly, but there's no, there's multiple <laughs> multitude of reason sometimes and and there's also inexperience mm -hmm. you know you can you can lean over to anybody and say hey look I, I don't know if you're going about that quite the right way I, I wouldn't do that yeah absolutely and you know there, there's no right one right answer you know you can go down into the the human the human side of a failure and there's so many different paths you can take and you know i think you hit it when you you talked a bit about job pressures and you know your supervisor saying just get it done and, and not doing it the right way worrying about getting the job done today and not thinking about the, the next guy that's going to have to fix it and repair it early i know i was at uh, a mine in in northern alberta and uh, they were they were installing um, a kingpin on a truck and you know I, I go out there and I have the job plan in my hand and yeah I'm reading the job plan and I'm, I see where they are and I'm like, that bearing that bearing wasn't cooled it's minus 40 outside let's just drop it outside for half the shift and <laughs> you know come back to it and you know I, I found that a lot of it was just they have never done it that way before and even if it says mm -hmm. flat out on a job plan you need to do this it just 
it just isn't followed because it isn't isn't something that they've had to do before. So like I know people, uh, engineers and, and other staff will make changes to a job plan, send that job plan out without communicating that to anybody, and then they're and then we're surprised that it doesn't get followed. How how do you think we can how, the maintenance staff could do that better? And if you're you know you've worked with a lot of guys that have worked in the field for 30 years they just know how to do the job what do you think is a good way to start getting them to um, take a step back and and look at how they do things and understand that hey maybe they're not doing it the best way or potentially get them engaged to let people let the office staff know that hey your job plan sucks uh this is actually how we do it uh you know it's it's definitely uh something that a lot of people struggle with uh, i would say especially us guys on the tools we might not have the most political way of approaching somebody to say we have an issue with or an idea or most of us most of us can articulate what we're trying to get across for the most part um it's i think communication trying to develop uh, back and forth uh, an open dialogue where both sides feel like they can see something uh, fruitful coming from it, you know, not necessarily rewarded or anything, but I think it's, that's going to be the struggle is getting both sides to see that input from both sides is valuable. You know, it's worth listening to, it's worth making an effort. And I I found too, sometimes pride can make us a little, uh, you, you know what I mean? Like sometimes if you're, if you got this idea and you think it's great or the way you've been doing it, you know, you'll, you'll say, I've got this great idea. I've done this a hundred times. And then you get shot down in flames. Cause you know what, maybe it isn't the best way, but I felt it was. And then, so some people might go away, tuck tail and withdraw. So it, I think it's, um, it has a lot to do with personalities of the crew though, too. I don't know if there's a universal fix mm-hmm. for everything. I, I think it's, um, you got to get a lot of just crews, getting right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and and getting the right people doing the right things, even though they may prefer to do something, but maybe person B over there might actually be better at it. And I think it's it, it's got to be hard to try and blend that team up so everyone's doing what they're best at rather than what they want to do. Sometimes that can kind of get in the way as well, right? Like. It's, I don't know if that made much sense what I said there, but that's kind of how I feel about it is it's just hard to get teams together that will work, will communicate and can take constructive criticisms from each other and give them. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of that that goes on where it's just, well, you know, to heck with this, these guys are knuckleheads <laughs> and vice versa. Right. Yeah. The, the human side and the cultural side and, and, and that is such a huge piece. And, like I know a lot of people listen to this podcast and listen and, and look up other things and really try and focus on the tools and, and, you know, different physical things that we can do to make our workplaces better and do our jobs better. And, but sometimes, you know, a lot of the times at the end of the day, you just got to connect with your, with your, your execution teams. You got to make sure the guys on the front line are happy and, and you got to work at it from that perspective. Like, um yeah anyways i'll get off my soapbox 
perks of having a podcast they get to jump on whatever soapbox i like and <laughs> um, yeah, you can do whatever you want <laughs> yours yeah so you know now to jump back to the tools um yeah when you're going out there as a contractor you you've generally got i'm guessing in your service truck the best tools out there or at least you're making sure they're maintained well what what are we missing in that respect like what tools are are our technicians on site often missing it it, it all depends on what you want to carry mm-hmm. um for myself i'm not a huge believer in i have to have the top of the line you know open end wrench i don't have to have the most expensive one there are certain things that are nice about certain brands so that that's always nice right to have good quality tools you don't have to have like the most expensive or maybe the best Mm -hmm. but they do have to have some quality to them and you have to be able to rely on them like on a contractor standpoint right because if you show up and your tools a pile of junk and you can't get nothing done like anyone's going to be overly happy with you right you're not going to be going back to that site (laughs) no no um like as far as like say regular hand tools safety is also a thing too if you buy good quality tools you're not going to have them if you're using them for the right purpose, mm-hmm. they shouldn't be failing on you and things like that. Um, most, most guys that I've ran into have a good assortment of your regular everyday hand tools and, and most impact tools, things like that, where I've maybe ran into issues uh, and I definitely have, you know, is on site when you go on, you're expected to do a job. Um, you, you can't carry everything. So like if you need big pullers for pulling off hubs or, or splitters, you know, for pulling a bearing off a chap, you, you know, I've, I've been working on a collection of those for myself just because I, I strongly dislike having to look around and ask for that kind of stuff. But it's different now that I'm a, a contractor, right? Like it is kind of on me to try and provide the tooling to do the services that I claim I can do. But there again like when you go into a place for the big tools or an induction heater or having a few on site would really help you know like having big pullers but then the problem is a lot of sites i've seen will have a great assortment but then there's nobody keeping track of it you you get a big couple of big turnarounds or something and oh does anyone know where this strong back is nope does anyone know where the four foot long you know uh high tensile threaded rod is for our pullers no oh dang you know there's just no keeping track of it so that that kind of stuff gets lost in the wayside and then so when you're there say a regular down day or even the site's own technicians go to do a job and the proper tool isn't there and you still have to get it done like sometimes a compromise has to be made whether it's favorable or not (laughs) You know, the, it, it, it sounds like a good tool crib attendant is, is worth their weight in gold. And, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, most sites I've been to, you've got the tool crib and I've seen a variety. Uh, I've seen some amazing tool cribs where everything's controlled. And I've seen ones where the door is propped open by a rock and it's, it, it's a free for all. And the places that got the most done and I don't know if the tool crib was just uh, a statement on the rest of the rest of the maintenance department, but if the tool crib was clean and functioning well and and followed a lot of what you're talking about, the work was generally getting done 
faster, better, and, you know, they were in a much more planned state than the reactive state. So, you know, I think there's a lot of, lot of logic to what you're saying there. Now, in terms of like, um, you know, alignment tools and, and some of those more specialized tooling that you'd often get from the tool, tool crib, do you think technicians are, are using those well? Or do you think there's maybe a bit of a misunderstanding out there on, on how, how to use those tools and, and when to use them? Yeah, you know, I think there's definitely different grades of tooling for that kind of work, say for your everyday going forward, like just completing work, say in the tool crib, do you really want to leave those laser alignment units free for anyone to just grab right in an open tool crib? There's some guys that really do take good care of those kind of instruments really is what they are rather than just a tool. Guys take good care of them. They're they make sure they're clean and they're returned. All the parts are back in the box when they're done. And, and then there's other people who, um, they just don't care. You know, there's, there's always going to be that just don't care, but there, there's a time for those tools. And, and I think those kind of things should be a little more controlled than your everyday, say just wrenches and everything else kicking around. Cause you, you essentially, I, I guess I own my own. So maybe I'm a little more biased, <laughs> but like, when I have my own laser tool there. So just like, you know, that it's not the most expensive thing in the world, but it is a something the size of a suitcase that is roughly $25,000, you know, or like the size of a laptop bag. So you just get anybody going with that or you, you can't really have that. There's got to be some more control. And, and, and really did they need it for that task or could they have used um, a lesser model? you know, or what, what kind of things are we working to here? You know, I, I just don't think anyone should be allowed to use them myself. Quite honestly, you see guys that um, like, and training, I do find it's uh, for like a laser alignment tool. I, I think training is pretty important to help people understand what problems they might be running into when they're using it. Cause you see a lot of guys shy away from that technology of those instruments well, I don't know. I, I have issues with it all the time or whatever. They don't supply me enough training. And, and that's, that's something I actually hear quite often is, is training or a facility to practice and get good with those kind of tools to be proficient and efficient. Uh, you know, and with those kind of tools, if you're going to have them, do you, do you have shims? Do you have the correct assortment of shims to, to use with that tool? Right. Cause like, if you go and, send it out there and you don't have the support tooling so to speak or supplies with it but what good is it to you <laughs> is that is that a common problem where people have these expensive tools or these these high quality precision tools but then they don't have the means to actually make those small precision adjustments absolutely <laughs> like it's 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 lots of places right and, and i can see and there's I, guys who make do yeah yeah, absolutely. I can see as, you know, somebody coming into my office saying, hey, I need a laser alignment tool. No problem. I've got it. It's on order. It's coming your way. I'm not good. You know, nine times out of 10, I'm probably not going to think about the extra stuff around it. If, if somebody tells me they need tooling, I'm just going to work about work, work on getting it and then forget about the rest around it. So yeah, that's a, you know, that's a really important tip, I think is always making sure you have the right parts and, and you know when you go out to do that job you 
have to have not only the right tooling, but the right parts and, you know, contingency parts and whatever you might need to uh, get that job done effectively. You know, and I've, I've made mistakes too. Like you go out and you think you've got all the stuff you need to bring with it. And you like, oh, no, no, I don't. I, I try to make myself a note. So it's a little easier because the onus is on me for it, for a lot of this now. So if I go out and I use my equipment and I don't have support for it that I need, you know, like I said, extra brackets or the proper brackets or shims, or, or things like that, I just make myself a note, ah, oh, dang, I better, I better get this so I'm not in the same spot again. And I think it might be hard for bigger companies or outfits to do that efficiently because some people, their workload is so high and they handle so many different angles and aspects of the job. I, I look at it and think, I wouldn't want that job. That's <laughs> too many angles for me. And I think that's where, where a good job plan really makes a difference you can take a lot of that guesswork out and especially if it's a routine job you know what you're gonna need you you know it all so why don't we get this stuff laid out well get your parts people to pick everything that you might potentially need and get it sent out there with the job and that way once you're out there there's none of this you don't have to run back to the warehouse you don't have to you know nothing's worse than getting 90% 90% way through an engine change and realizing you're missing a seal, then you just need to run back and worse. You know, I've seen it where we just about have an engine in, we've got everything we need. And then it's a $2 seal that we're waiting for and holds up the job for a day. <laughs> so it's now a hundred thousand dollar seal. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, things can change so quickly when, when you forget some of those little parts. What else do you see out there as being a pretty big challenge for, for the front frontline guys, like what is, you know, in terms of, we talk a lot about wrench time and, you know, making sure that the technicians can get as much time as possible on the tools and turning the wrenches and, and getting the job done instead of a lot of the administrative burden or searching for parts or all that stuff. What do you feel is one of the biggest areas that you, uh, you struggle in and, and find yourself losing, losing that wrench time? You know, that's actually a kind of a difficult question. Sometimes you're just waiting for the facilities to throttle down and be down so you can go through and start getting your work done. Um, I would say I've run into myself a lot lately is where you have a very limited window and the go-to solution is manpower where they're like, well, we'll just throw more guys at it. Well, that's great. But what are we going to do? Sit on each other's shoulders and like, yeah, sometimes it is more efficient with less. I, sometimes you just need time. Like you just, you just need the time to do the job. Uh, and maybe sometimes you'll, you'll get on a work order that it's been completed in six hours, ideal conditions. They had all the parts, you know, like there's so many things to the store we don't know. And then you get into it, you're thinking, oh, geez, we're down a guy, got bumped to another job. Oh, we don't have this part. Now we got to look for it. Or or they did have the parts, but the wrong one was picked. So now we got to sort that out because you don't really want to tear it all apart until you've made sure everything is right. So you'll, you'll run into situations like that. Um, th- those, those are a lot of things that have held me up mm-hmm. you know, when you, once you get going. 
or uh, sometimes someone's right planned for a job like right up on top of you pretty much or right above you or they're hoisting overhead or, or there's sometimes things get pretty busy and you know they it, it's hard for the I think the person planning too to visualize everything that's got to go on and where and how it, it's got to be tough for them too right like it's yeah it's it, it's certainly not an easy job and you know <laughs> but those are things that we run into that, that I can just think <laughs> of offhand yeah and you know and, and people fall tripping over themselves and, and the logistics of running a proper shutdown and you know you're bringing in sometimes hundreds of people to do do some of the shutdown work and to get everything to line up perfectly and everybody doing following their schedule and even if the planner can do the best job in the world reality is I think hang-ups are going to happen and it's how have you compensated for those hang-ups how have you built that into your your estimates and you don't the worst part is though is if you finish a job early the next time they expect the same thing right <laughs> that's that's definitely an issue and sometimes though you've been you know a guy gets given a work order and you think to yourself why do they have 12 hours on here you know you're six hours in you're done and you kind of second guess yourself you're like oh geez did i actually do everything i was supposed to a lot of times then you just kind of think someone had a hard time with it you know something went south or things weren't right so it's a proactive approach might be um you know it, if we look at it and talking to again bob latino we've had him on the show quite a few times and doing an rca or something on why a job went a lot faster than uh, than expected what either went well what can we learn from this job that went quickly or what did we miss and understanding that i think there's potentially some some pretty big value there not only can you tighten up your planning practices you'll also understand hey this was ideal conditions we're not going to get this again or hey maybe we decided to install that bearing with a hammer to make the job go quicker instead of doing the proper procedure for getting that bearing in place um Mm -hmm. and it, it can help prepare you and to do that on every job, obviously, is going to be challenging. But some of those ones where, you know, I know I've put out work orders for 12 hours and they come back, they're done at three. Did I just have somebody really good? <laughs> the, the guy I talked to when I was putting this uh, work order together told me it was going to be a 12-hour job. What does he do differently? And, you know, understanding those differences, I think, is, is pretty huge. Because I know, you know, especially if you don't have a standard job plan or anything in place, you you're really relying on the technicians to know exactly what they're doing and um, you know correct me if i'm wrong but every job is a little different um <laughs> i've i've been fortunate enough there's a couple of, of steady customers i have and uh i've i've been quite fortunate that they allow me time the uh like the days before like prep time and a lot of people get prep time for jobs, but it's kind of nice for me. So then like, okay, they've sent me the work they're proposing, you know, kind of what do you estimate it will take? And then, so you, you kind of give it a rough estimate and then you say, well, when I come out there Friday, I'll have a closer look and I'll double check the part numbers and we'll go through kind of walk out the job almost. 
kind of see if there's anything that's really going to hang us up before we go and tie into it. Or, or they've asked me to come out the week before, or sometimes two weeks before, depending on the job. You kind of just pace through it. And then you get your list of everything you're working on. And you think, okay, well, what could happen here? What could happen there? And, and it's easy for me because I'm just usually looking after myself or two other guys that I'll bring in to help me out. So it, it's relatively easy. That approach works for me to make sure I can do an efficient and quality job. Yeah, I like that a lot. With... You, you know, it, <laughs> like you're being proactive, right? Like you're you're talking the job through um, before you actually go and do the job and you spend whatever it is, an hour, two hours, maybe even a day in some cases, going over the job and the job plan, what you're going to need. But that's going to translate to huge value when you're actually out there. Maybe not on every job. There's going to be jobs that go go well and you don't need, you may not have necessarily needed that look. But on that one job where everything is just going wrong, that could probably, I imagine that's going to potentially save you a lot of time because you've talked over those risks. You've talked about that job plan and you've put a strategy in place to mitigate it. I, I absolutely love that you're doing that. That sounds much more proactive than, <laughs> than, than we often see. I um well you know I've I've also been fortunate that the customer is willing to pay for it you know that <laughs> that's the other thing too right so uh you know what if, if I had like a, a a large crew say of guys where I'm making you know more substantial money with well, I I wouldn't probably mind going out on my own time the day before but it's they've um it's kind of nice that they've backed me up in a way that. Mm-hmm. They understand the value of it for them. They understand the value of it for me. I can offer, you know, we can, as a group, the guys that I come out with, we can we can offer quality, efficient work because they've supported us that way really is, is a way to say it. Like they've, they've really, at first it was kind of, oh, I don't know guys, but then they got behind it. And, and, it, and I think it saved us. Like you say, you get some days where there's a job just going to heck and you just oh man or you can see how it's gonna go to heck is actually more what happens you think oh geez this is this is a lot more than we had assumed now we've got to move this out of the way how are we going to lift this we have nowhere to lift overhead how do we go about this or should we have maybe deferred this until we can get something to handle this piece of equipment or or have parts in just in case you know, or how far are they away if they have to be hot shot on Saturday? Like, where do we go? Mm-hmm. I think it's really uh, made it a lot easier for us to do our job. Uh, I think anyway. But we also have, like I said, the support of the site is really, really big on that as a contractor, where it really helps us get it done. Uh, to be a, a, a person on site, sometimes it's a little different for them. Because they're kind of like, sometimes they're pushed to the side when we're there. They're like, oh, hold on, hold on. We've got to deal with these contractors, you know? So, yeah. You know, what's good for me might come at the expense of those guys. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's really a them problem. (laughs) I hate (laughs) to say that, but, but no, it's good. It's, it's, it, it certainly, I imagine it certainly makes you look good when you, when you go out there and you can do that job and, You've got those contingencies, like you say, hey, I'm going to be here for 10 hours or like, I don't know, six to 10 hours 
best case scenario, this is what happens. Worst case scenario, this is what happens. You're prepared for it all. You fall within that time. I don't know. I, nothing makes me happier than when somebody delivers on something in the time that they said they were going to deliver <laughs> deliver it on. So it's... <laughs> um, it helps, yeah. you know, for the most part. There's, there's been a few times where I've, you know, you got to almost go back to them hat in hand and say, hey, look, um, our plan A and B that we thought was really great well, now we're at sea and we're going to be here tomorrow to finish this. You know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't always go great, but I would say over the average, it's definitely been more positive habit. It's definitely had a more positive impact. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. Now we're, we're kind of coming close to the end of time here. And I know you've got a lot of new stuff kind of coming down the pipeline. It is is there um, any plugs you want to give? Is there uh, anything specific that you want to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah, as far as plugs go, um, I'll be offering support for Fluke and Proof Technic um, alignment instruments in BC, starting to uh, look after that area and this area, I guess, and, and branch out more into uh, some laser alignment work further out as I go, that's kind of where I'm a lot of my work is trying to stick. So I would just say, if you're looking for laser alignment tooling, just get a hold of me and I can point you in the right direction. We can get you sorted with uh, solutions. Absolutely. And if people want to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way? I would use, you can look me up on LinkedIn is uh, primarily where I'm at. Um, just look me up on there, Jeffrey Millwright or Matt Joinson. Or you can get a hold of me alternatively at my email. It's just jaffreymillwright at gmail.com. Yeah, and I'll have those in the podcast description. And uh, be sure to include Taggy and all the posts that we do on LinkedIn for, for this episode's release. So I really appreciate you coming on, Matt. Uh, I, I certainly learned a lot. It's uh, I need to do it more. I need to have more of the, more of the frontline guys on this show because, you know, I find we do too much with... Uh, with the back end, the engineers, and and we don't hear from the people that really make a difference in our operations, which is the frontline teams. It's the guys executing the work. Um, you're where the value is, and and making sure that you guys are set up properly, and and focusing our attentions there is going to get us huge gains more than you know implementing some sensors. I find so. Thank you for coming on. Um, really great conversation. And I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime. <laughs> Thanks for inviting me. It was it was good. I like listening to it. It's it's a good uh, perspective adjustment for me as well. I get to hear the other end, the opposite side, you know, the opposite end of where I'm at, and then you can kind of helps me understand what's going on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And we're definitely trying to cater to uh, to people from from all aspects of the the maintenance and reliability world. So. Um, Yes. And thanks everybody for listening.